This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. This week's hour of old-time radio crime begins with Dragnet. We'll hear the big revision, their story from May 10th, 1955. After that, it's the FBI and Peace and War and the Literary Touch, their episode from April 13th, 1955. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a burglary detail. After weeks of investigation, a suspect in a burglary is picked up. You've got the evidence for a conviction, but over $200,000 in loot is still missing. Your job, find it. It was Saturday, March 5th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Bernard. My name's Friday. We're on our way back from the cell block, and it was 9.45 a.m. when we got to the interview room. Felony section. I'll get the light. One in, Bowen. Mm. Sit down. Over there. You want to smoke? Here's the light. You want to talk to us this morning? You're not doing yourself any good this way, Bowen. We checked your apartment, Bowen. Found a set of tools our crime lab says are the ones used in the Hendricks job. We can put you in the front room of the house. You're dead, Bowen. Why don't you admit it? This is the first time you've been nailed for anything big. You go along with us and the judge might take it into consideration. If we have to write it up this way, he's liable to throw the book in your face. Who's with you on the job, Bowen? We know you didn't swing it alone. Somebody had to carry the light. Come on, who was it? All right, what about the loot? Where's that? That stuff's not going to do you any good in the joint. There's over 200 grand in furs and jewelry missing. We know you had it. Now, where is it? How about it, Bowen? You're just causing yourself a lot of grief. Okay, let's go. On your feet. Come on. Too bad, cop. Is that so? Sure. There's nothing you can do to make me tell where the stuff is. Not a thing. Sure. You're never going to find out where it is. Never. Well, it really doesn't make a lot of difference. Hmm? You're never going to use it. Three weeks previously, on February 10th, two unidentified persons had entered a home in the Bel Air District. They'd taken furs and jewelry valued at over $200,000. The investigation conducted by burglary detail had netted one of the suspects. He was identified as Cade Bowen, WMA, 32 years. His arrest record had listed several charges of drunk driving and disturbing the peace. However, he'd never been picked up on a felony before. In spite of our efforts, we'd been unable to break him down. He refused to identify the other suspect or to tell us where we could recover the stolen goods. All of his friends and relatives were questioned. None of them could aid us. The case on him was prepared for the district attorney's office, and we continued to look for the other suspect. Monday, March 7th. 8.02 a.m. I checked into the squad room. That you, Joe? Yeah. Now you're late. A couple of minutes, yeah. I got it. 
Burglary Friday. Oh, yeah, Amory. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, not a sign of it. Well, we'd like to hear it anyway. Where can we meet you? Where? Yeah, all right. We'll be right over. About five minutes. Right. Goodbye. It was Emery. Who? Emery Docks. Says he wants to see us. What about? Some stolen fur coats. Frank and I left the office and drove over to see the informant. We found him in Pershing Square watching a checker game. Just a minute, Joe. I'll be with you. All right. No, 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 no. Not that one. Always does it. Okay, let's go. Always the same with that guy. Is that right? Yeah, always the same. Set him up that way and he'll jump. As soon as he does, game's over. He can't see it, but it's over. Mm-hmm. Real pigeon for the setup. You sit over there and talk. You know my partner, don't you, Emery? Yeah, sure. Hi. How you doing? Not too bad. Guess you can't win them all. Yeah. You can sit there. What do you want to see us about? Oh, fell over something day before yesterday. Thought maybe it'd make sense for you. Mm-hmm. Met a guy who had some coats for sale. Price he was quoting had to be hot. Where'd you meet him? Bar over on first. Is he a friend? Not to make a touch. I see him in the bar once in a while, but he don't ever buy a drink. Mm. The other night he got real palsy. Well, I don't know, maybe he was gassed or something. But he sure was friendly. You met him in the bar? Yeah, he stopped in to have a belt before I ate. This guy was there, sitting on the stool next to me. Got to talking. He almost knocked me over when he bought a drink. Right on the floor, he knocked me. Mm-hmm. One thing led to something else. He asked what I was doing. I said, oh, just about anything to turn a buck. He asked me if I had any money I wasn't using. I said I didn't. Yeah. He said it was too bad. He said if I could raise a couple of long bills, he could turn me on to something good. The coats. Huh? Yeah, yeah. He told me how a friend of his came up with these fur coats, wanted to dump them. Said the price was real good. What kind of coats were they? Mink. Full length. Had a couple of those scarf things, too. He said there was Stone Martin or something, you know, where the skins look like they're biting each other. Yeah. Like those. Stone Martin, I think. Mm-hmm. I made a big thing about how the price was right, and if I had any loot, I could come out with a big thing. Did he say where his friend got him? No. Matter of fact, I don't think there was a friend. Coats were in his car. I know if I had that kind of merchandise, I wouldn't put it in nobody else's pocket, that's for sure. What's this fellow's name, do you know? Jarvis Dean. D-E-A-N? I guess so. What do you know about him? Well, not much. I told you I see him around. He's an angle fellow, always looking for a touch. Did he hold any kind of a job? Not so as it would stand out. How's he live? Oh, off other people mostly. Once in a while he makes a big score and he's popping for drinks all over the place. A couple of days he's blown the wad and he's back on the dole. You know where you can find him? I can't give you no address. Usually around the bar? Mostly. You won't find him there for a couple of days now, though. Hmm? You said something about going out of town down to Palm Springs. Something about how he could make a contact down there and unload the coats. Has Jarvis Dean ever been arrested? Well, I don't know. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about jails. Figures, though. What do you mean? The way he talks, some of the people I've seen him with, six to an even, they can draw your floor plan of the laundry up at Q. Mm-hmm. Give us the name of the people. Well, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather than not. They ain't done nothing to me, and I'd like to keep it that way. Some of them are pretty mean. Well, you understand it isn't that I'm afraid, but I, I don't see no reason to stir nothing up. Mm-hmm. Does Dean say where this contact was at Palm Springs? Oh, he mentioned some bar called Spanky's, that's all. In the town itself? Yeah, I guess so. When I couldn't spring the money to go with him, he kind of cooled off. You know, he stopped being real friendly. Mm-hmm. I got to thinking about it and figured maybe it'd mean something to you, so... Well, the guy goes around with a couple of grand furs in his car. He didn't win him in a raffle. Got to be something there. Mm-hmm. Do you any good? Yeah, we'll check it. 
When I first heard about it, I thought it would do some good right away. I thought of you guys right away. Well, I always like to try and help when I can. Mm-hmm. Now it works out uh, both ways. Maybe you can give me a hand sometime. You know, like now? What? I could sure use a couple of bucks. Things ain't been going too good. Oh, that's too bad. Well, it's just temporary. It won't last. A couple of days, I got a job coming up. Hotel over on Wilshire. Pearl diving. Guy's been drafted, and I'm in line for the job in just a couple of days. Well, I've only got a couple of bucks, Emery. You can have them if it'll help. Sure, Joy. Anything at all. There you are. Thank you. Hey, you got a pencil? A what? Pencil. Got one I can use? Yeah, here. I always like to keep these things legal. You never know. There you are. I owe you. Pay you back as soon as I start to work. Well, don't worry about it, Emery. No, no, no. You got to do these things up legal. Can you tell us what this guy Dean looks like? Yeah, he... You think there's really something to it, huh? Oh, check it. Well, sure. Figures he stole the coats, and then he reasoned he'd want to give them away if he didn't. Mm-hmm. Guy like that, he don't do nothing for nothing. Got to be a payoff somewhere. Well, then he won't be disappointed. Huh? There'll be one. Frank and I got the description of Jarvis Dean and the car he was driving, then we returned to the office. We had the name run through R&I, and we found a record. The mugshot was pulled and shown to Emory Docks. He said it was the man who tried to sell him the coats. We put out a local broadcast and an APB on the suspect and his car. 11.25 a.m. Cade Bowen was questioned again, but he refused to give us any information on whether or not Dean was his accomplice in the burglary. At 2.30 that afternoon, Frank and I met with Captain Bernard in his office. You think it's the Hendricks loot? Should be. We've checked around. There haven't been any other thefts that it covered. Got the list? Yeah, here. Thanks. You can see right there, Skipper. Two mink coats, one stole, stone martin scarf. Mm-hmm. Mm. What about the jewelry? Well, he didn't say anything about it. Doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm. What about this bar in Palm Springs you mentioned? Spanky's? Yeah. You know anything about it? We know where it is. What kind of place is it? Resort town bar. What about the reputation? Clean. We never had any reports about it. Uh-huh. You think that's where they'll turn the stuff? Well, we don't know. All we got's the name. Some place to look. One we've had. You can't get anything out of Bowen? He won't even admit he's in Los Angeles. What's he got to say about the evidence? Just sits and looks at it. And Palm Springs is the only lead you got? That's it. Okay, trot it down. Can you leave right away? I can't. How about you, Smith? Just call Faye. That's it, then. Go on down there, see what you can find out. Be sure to check with their department. They might have something for you. All right. When will you be back? Well, if it works out, it should be sometime in the morning. Check with me as soon as you get in. Yeah. This fellow Dean got a record? Yeah, assault 211. Sounds like he might be heavy. Possibly. Well, take it easy. Yeah. He's the fellow you're after. He's not going to want to give that stuff up. Well, that puts it on our backs. Hmm? We've got to convince him. Frank and I went down to the carpool and checked out a trip car. Two hours later, we pulled into Palm Springs. We talked to the local authorities. They had nothing on Jarvis Dean. As far as they knew, there was nothing wrong with Spanky's bar. We got the address of the place and drove over. Yeah, what'll it be? Police officers. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh, L.A. cops, huh? Something wrong? I would like to ask you some questions. Sure. Come on back here. It'd be easier to talk. All right. Well, what can I do for you? I'd like you to take a look at these pictures. Tell us if you know this man. No, I never saw him. How about this one? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, he's been around. Is he here now? No, he doesn't usually make it this early. Seen him at all today? He was in this morning around 10 in there. You know where we can find him? What's he done? Police business. Well, just so it doesn't get anybody here in trouble, that guy's a real crackpot. What do you mean? He's lonely. He's good business, but if I had my brothers, I'd just assume he stayed away. Why is that? 
Out of the way, Yaks. We got a lot of big people coming here. You know, the picture crowd, a lot of money. They like things quiet. They come down here for a rest, and that's what they want. I like that fellow. They don't help. They're, uh... Sure, he gets gassed, makes a big noise all about how he's buying drinks for the house. The customers don't like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Drinks aren't bad enough, but he's got to start a pitch. What do you mean? I've been trying to set something up, some kind of a deal. You know what it is? No, I don't pay a lot of attention. I just hear him talking to some of the people. Gets any worse, though. I'm going to have to 86 him. Does he come in alone? Yeah, sometimes. What do you mean? Well, there's a chick he brings in once in a while. The two of them just sit there and drink. You know her? Why, is she in trouble? Do you know her? Yeah, her name is Blanche. She lives down here. She your She was. When? About half an hour ago. Said she was going out to get something to eat. She'd be back. You know where she went? No, half a dozen places inside a block she could have gone. If you want to talk to her, the best thing would be to wait right here. All right. She was carrying a real load when she walked out. I hope that food helps her. She said she lives down here. Yeah, she's got a place out the south end of town. What's she do for a living, you know? Well, I don't know. I don't think she's got a job. Seems I heard her say she was divorced. Probably got a chunk of dough from her old man. She and this fellow pretty friendly? You mean the guy in this picture? Yeah. I guess you could say that. Most of the time they're together. How often is he here? Oh, he comes in the place almost every night, you know, when he's in town. Is that quite a bit? Yeah, three, four days a week. You ever hear what he did for a living? No, I don't think he works steady. Hey, there's your girl now. All right. What do we drink, huh? Yeah. Uh, Blanche, a couple of fellas here want to talk to you, huh? Oh, that's all? Oh, bring them on. I always like to talk to fellas. If they're friends of yours, old bud, I know they're okay. Yeah, sure, Blanche. Is these them? Hey, now, they're pretty nice looking. You know that, fellas? They're pretty nice looking. I wonder if we get to a booth. Might be a little easier to talk to you. Oh, same to you. I'll talk right here. I won't say a thing. What's your name, honey? Friday. Say, that's a funny name. Like today, huh? That's right. It's huh? my partner, Frank Smith. I do. Oh, come on, man. I'm trying to pitch that at me. Smith. That's funny if I ever heard one. Hey, Blanche. Yeah, Blanche. How's that drink? Can't see all night, you know. Think you had enough of that? No. You just keep your big yap shut. You better take it easy, Blanche. Take it easy, nothing. Ain't no fellow with a name like Friday and Smith gonna tell me and... Not to have a drink. They're a couple of phonies, that's what they are. They're oh, phonies. Just settle down now. We're police officers. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Well, I'm the Queen of Sheba. What do you think of that? Hmm? What do you think of that, Mr. Phony? Uh, come on, Blanche. You better quiet down. Don't yell at me, you bartender. If you got any class at all, you keep these mashers out of here. It's a fine, lousy bar you're running. Let's go outside, lady. You just try and take me out there. Come another step, I'll knock your head off. Blanche, please, honey, take it easy. All right, miss, you said enough. Now, let's go outside. Oh, sure. Yeah, a big picture of that. Me going out there and you two can gang up on me. No, that's N-O. I ain't going no place with you. You got it wrong. I have, have I? Well, I'll just show you. Ah, police! Police! Come on, on, help! We are the police. You want another cop? Ah, Not yet. I didn't mean anything by it. Nothing. 
Because I didn't know you guys, and then I was a little drunk. Just all of a sudden, I wanted to hit something. I thought, just hit something. You were handy. Here's your coffee. Thanks. You want cream or sugar? No, what? Anything I can do for you? No, that's all. I'll be up front up there. Sure. Go ahead, miss. Try the coffee. Might make you feel better. No, Hot. I'm too sorry about hitting you. That's all right. Really? It was nice of you to say so. What were you going to ask me when all this started? You want to take a look at this picture here and tell us if you know the man? Sure. I guess I owe you that. Is the guy? Yeah. Sure, Jarvis. Last name Dean? Yeah. What do you know about him? Guy. Had a couple of drinks with him. You know where he is? Not now. I'm this morning. Had a cup of coffee. Haven't seen him since then. Is he still in town? I don't think so. You know where he is? No. Tell you run up to L.A. on some business. Did he say what kind of business? No. He didn't talk much about that. You got any idea where Dean was going in L.A.? Mm-hmm. He didn't give me an address. You say when he'd be back? Uh-uh. That's what we had the beef about. He just shoved off. Something about meeting the guy up there said this fellow's in some kind of trouble and he had to try and square it. You say who it was? <sighs> I'm not sure I can remember. It's pretty important. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bowen. Yeah, I had to see a guy named Bowen. You say what it was about? No. I can remember. Told me that he and this Bowen guy were on a deal together. Bowen had lost it up. Said he had to take care of him. The description of Dean's car that the girl gave us matched the one we'd gotten from our informant. We checked the room he'd occupied in Palm Springs. We talked to the local authorities. They agreed to check further on the suspect. Frank and I left for Los Angeles. The following morning, we contacted Captain Bernard. It all goes together. Huh? You better find him fast. Why? Something wrong? I don't know, but it could happen. What do you mean? Bowen was released on a writ last night. Additional bulletins were gotten out on both men. Bowen's house was put under surveillance, and all of his known hangouts were watched. Two days passed without word. And then on Thursday, March 10th at 10.57 a.m., Frank and I got back to the office from checking out a lead. Ready? Yeah. Note in the book for you. Important. Thank you. What is it? Supposed to call the sheriff's department. Hmm. Wonder what it is. I don't know yet. We'll find out. Well, I didn't figure you would, Joe, not until he made the call. Just wondered what it was. Dave Cherry, please. Well, Dave, Joe Friday. No, we haven't. Where? Any idea when that happened? No, we better come over and see you. Right. Bye. We're in trouble. What do you mean? I don't know. They found a body out on the desert this morning. Looks like it was a hit and run. Bowen? No, Jarvis Dean. Frank and I left the office and went over to the Hall of Justice where we met with Sergeant Dave Terry. He showed us the photographs taken at the scene and the reports filed by the officers who discovered the body. 
From the appearance, it had been struck by a car traveling at high speed. A thorough search had been made of the area, but no trace of Jarvis Dean's car could be found. There was no apparent explanation as to how he'd gotten out on the desert. Another local on an APB was gotten out, asking that Cade Bowen be picked up for questioning on suspicion of murder. A week went by. There was no word of the suspect. Border stations had been alerted in the event he tried to escape into Mexico. Checkpoints at the California-Nevada border had descriptions of both the car and the suspect. Saturday, March 19th, Frank and I got back from the stats office. Well, that's another dead end. Yeah. Where to now? I'll well, we check with the skipper, see if he's got any ideas. All right. Come on in. Where you been? Been looking for you. Stats office. They just finished a run. They didn't come up with anything. You don't need it. Huh? You got half the country looking for Bowen, and he's in your pocket. What do you mean? Main jail. Picked up last night in 502. Cade Bowen had been picked up the night before at the corner of 7th and Hill Streets. He'd been observed by a radio car driving in an erratic manner and had refused to stop when the officers directed him to. After a 10-block chase, he'd been halted, but when the officers asked to see his identification, he told them he didn't have any. He was taken to the main jail and booked on charges of drunk driving. A check of his fingerprints had revealed his name and we were notified. His car had been impounded and the crime lab was going over it. We had the suspect brought to the city hall. What is it this time? I held up the Federal Reserve... All right, come off it, Bowen. You know where you're sitting now. This is the last time around for you. Yeah, I've heard that before. You won't hear it again. Where you been for the last week? Sleeping. All right, now where? Any place I could find a soft mattress. Hey, you guys ought to pull some strings and get some new bedding over the main jail. Those bunks are hard. Sure. You know a man named Jarvis Dean? Hmm? Jarvis Dean, do you know him? Might. That's no answer. That's the best I can do. Look, mister, we're getting tired of playing with you. You're in trouble, and it doesn't come in any bigger sizes. Now, I'm not going to tell you to play it smart because you wouldn't know what I was talking about, but you snapped to and answered these questions. Now do you know Jarvis Dean? I met him. When did you see him last? A couple weeks ago. We understand he was with you on the burglary. <laughs> it's a fairy tale. We got it straight. I didn't know you listened to gossip. Where'd you get the car you were driving last night? I bought it. From who? Used car dealer. Well, then you tell us why it's registered to Jarvis Dean, will you? Well, I don't know anything about that. Last time we talked to you, it was for a burglary beef. It's a lot more serious this time. That's so. That's right. Suspicion of murder. <laughs> Who'd I kill? Jarvis Dean. You're out of your head. We always are. Now tell us why he let you drive his car. I don't know if it is his car. Department of Motor Vehicles says it is. We checked it. All of the stolen merchandise was found. Now, you got no right to go through my things. Last time we heard of the stuff, Jarvis Dean had it. What's the matter? Did you ever fight about what to do with it? Maybe you got sore because he was letting you carry the beef yourself. That what happened? Come on, Bowen, you're boxed in. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let's check the office, see if there's any word from the crime lab. I'll do it. Hello? Yeah, tell you what, cop. Hmm? You win, I'll tell you. About Dean? I don't know anything about him. I'm talking about the burglary. Yeah. I did it. You don't have to go any further. No deal. We got you on something bigger. I think we can make that hold up. I'm willing to cop out to the other. How'd you do? Well, here's the report. Well, that wraps it up. Yeah. All right, Bowen, let's go. Huh? We don't have to talk to you anymore. The crime lab just finished going over the car. Yeah? They found where you had that fender repaired. Well, some drunk ran into me. They checked the springs underneath, found traces of fabric, matched the jacket Dean had on when he was killed. We got enough to make you on it. You can't prove I was driving the car, now. there's no way you can prove it. We think we can. Go ahead. You just take it into court. Try. <laughs> By the time you get through, the judge and the jury will be laughing. Is that right? Sure, they'll tell you how far out you are. They'll laugh right in your face. They'll tell you something, too. Yeah. And they won't be laughing. <laughs>
story you've just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 16th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Cade Neal Bowen was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree and received sentence as prescribed by law. On recommendation of the jury, he was sentenced to life imprisonment in the state penitentiary, San Quentin. You have just heard Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action, and starring Jack Webb, a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. in peace and war. The FBI in peace and war is brought to you by healthful, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Enjoy chewing Wrigley's Spearmint every day, as millions do. The lively, long-lasting flavor freshens your mouth and sweetens your breath. The pleasant chewing eases tension, helps you feel better, and get more enjoyment out of what you're doing. Another great story based on Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War. Drama, thrills, action. Tonight's story, The Literary Touch. That'll be all, sir? Yes, that's all, thank you. Uh, Pay the cashier, please. Thank you. Oh, uh, young man. Uh, Yes, sir? You're a student here, aren't you? Uh, That's right, sir. I hope you don't mind my asking. Do you uh, take any history courses? Sure. History 154. Social change since the Civil War. History 154. Now, let's see. Who teaches that? It's uh, Professor... uh... Uh, Boulder. Amos Boulder. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Boulder, of course. Uh, He's... um... They're quite an authority in the field, isn't he? Oh, he sure is. He wrote a couple of books. We use one of them for text. Is that so? Yeah, it's called The Economic Consequences of Constitutional Interpretation. It's a Lulu. <laughs> it sounds pretty formidable. Yeah, real rough going if you try without black coffee. <laughs> I can imagine. Do they sell it here at the uh, bookstore? Sure, you can buy it if you got six bucks and a strong pair of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Oh, that's okay, sir. Thank you. 
The Economic Consequences of Constitutional Interpretation by Professor Amos Boulder. Quite a mouthful, isn't it? The highest perch on the criminal social ladder is occupied by the swindler. And of all the fancy swindlers on record, none was more distinguished than Wallace Evans Malsby, born Walter Fiegelhammer. During his numerous short terms in prison, Malsby read a great many books and acquired a literary veneer that was useful in his racket. His victims were mostly writers and college professors, a gullible segment of the population. And then he quoted to me from my own book, and I couldn't very well dispute with an authority now, could I? <laughs> could I, Thelma? No, dear, of course not. Uh, Thelma, dear, I was trying to make a joke. Oh, dear, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my love. But, Amos, darling, what did the man want? Huh? What did he come to see you about? Oh, well, I'm, I'm coming to that. It's really quite exciting. Uh, Thelma, I don't think we want this to get around the campus. Not for a while, anyway. Of course not. Uh, I haven't told you what it is yet. I know. What is it, dear? Well, now, this Mr. Malsby, incidentally, he was rather impressed with my chapter on Theodore Roosevelt and the Panama Canal. That's a very good chapter. Uh, yes. Mr. Malsby is quite a well-known publisher, and he's launching a new magazine, Historical Horizons. About history. Yes, dear. It's going to be very handsome, the way he describes it. Two dollars an issue, I believe. Twelve issues a year. But can we afford it, Amos? Thelma, dear, he, he doesn't want me to buy a subscription to the magazine. He wants me to be editor-in-chief. Oh, darling, that's wonderful. When do you start? Well, now, the magazine isn't even published yet. Mr. Malsby is just lining up the staff. Oh, it sounds terribly exciting, Amos. I think it is. He's going to talk to some other men in our field. I uh, gave him a few names. Editor-in-chief. Oh, can't I tell anybody, Amos? Not a soul, Thelma, now. Not till I sign the contract. Uh, Mr. Malsby doesn't want any publicity until the right moment. When will that be? Oh, I don't know, dear. Uh, evidently, there are many factors in organizing a magazine of this scope. As Mr. Malsby explained it, there are what he calls uh, angles. And uh, where exactly do I fit into this angle, Mr. Malsby? Well, I'm coming to that, Professor. Very sensible. I, I have a class in exactly five minutes. Oh, really? Do you mind if I sit in? Afraid you'll be bored. I'm going to talk about a rather obscure gentleman, the Emperor Barbarossa. Frederick I of Germany. Oh, you know Frederick? <laughs> well, not uh, intimately. But I got quite interested after reading your monograph in the library. Well, did you now? Yes, I... Uh... Especially like the way you handled his attitude um, toward the Second Crusade. Really? Mm, yes. And uh, that's exactly the type of thing we want to do in uh, historical horizons. Might boil it down, eh? That mm. is, if you think it would be acceptable. Well, that uh, wouldn't be up to me, Professor. That would be up to our editor. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, have you anybody in mind? Our editor? Oh, oh, yes, indeed I have. He ought to be a man with a good, solid background, both modern and classical. Yes, I quite agree. And I think I have just the person. And who's that? You. Me? That's right, Professor Duncan. Editor? Editor-in-chief. Me? Of course, if you uh, accept this offer, I'll have to ask you not to tell anyone till we've signed a contract. You see, when my publicity is ready... And do I... I understand that you want me well, as the editor? I don't know anyone better qualified for the job. Do you? Uh, no, frankly, I don't. <laughs> well, if you'd like a few days to uh, think this over... And would my name uh, be at the top of the masthead? It would. 
Oh, I'd sure like to see Amos Boulder's face the first time he gets a look at that. Well, I'm sure Professor Boulder would be the first to congratulate you. I doubt it. Amos always wanted to teach over here at the university, but he's just not up to our caliber. He's always been envious of me. Oh, this will kill him. Uh, in that case, I'll have to ask you to be doubly sure not to mention my offer to anyone until we've signed the contract. Not a word, Mr. Molesby, I promise you. Oh, um, by the way, I, uh, I assume there's a certain amount of money connected with this. <laughs> yes, there is. Good. Well, you come along and sit in my class, Mr. Molesby, and after we get through with Barbarossa, we'll talk about money. I always think money is an interesting subject, too. Back to the literary touch in just a moment. You know, friends, one reason you'll enjoy chewing Wrigley's Spearmint Gum is that it helps to keep your mouth feeling so fresh and clean. The lively, full-bodied flavor of Wrigley's Spearmint is really cooling and refreshing. Besides, the chewing itself gives you comfort because it helps to keep your mouth and throat pleasingly moist. Helps keep your teeth clean and bright, too. Try it and see for yourself. Chew Wrigley's Spearmint Gum while you work while driving your car, out walking, and in your home. See how this delicious chewing gum helps to keep your mouth feeling fresh, cool, and clean. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Get some next time you go to the store. And now, Act Two of tonight's story, The Literary Touch. As the nation's number one literary swindler, Wallace Malsby's picture was almost standard decoration in post offices all over the country. As a result of this display, the owner of a small printing shop in downtown New York came forward with some very useful information. Well, you could have knocked me over with a breath of air, practically. I said to my brother-in-law, he works for me, but strictly as a relative, not from talent. I said, look, Alfred, isn't that picture Mr. Malsby, the historical horizons fella? Historical Horizons? Yeah. That's how I remember a customer from whatever he has printed on his stationery. He had stationery that said Historical Horizons, a magazine of distinction. Do you have a copy of this stationery, Mr. Keeley? Sure, I gotta keep a copy. Yeah, every a couple of months he sends me a new name to put on top of the masthead. We print everything the same, only we take this professor off the top of the list and put this professor in his place. Uh, here's his last order. Uh, what's the date on that? September 14th, two months ago. And where did you send that order? Just where it says here, the campus in Halstead, New Hampshire. Uh, say, Alfred was asking me, what's this guy's racket? And I couldn't even figure it out myself. What does he do? Well, it's a pretty slick operation, Mr. Keeley. Supposing you let us see that order, and then I'll tell you how it works. And so I said, uh, I see how it works, Mr. Malsby, but I'm not sure that I'm in a position. Uh, Velma. Yes, dear? Do you understand a word of what I'm saying? But of course, Mr. Malsby wants everybody on the staff of the magazine to have a few shares of stock so they'll feel a sense of ownership and responsibility. Uh, well, it's not quite as simple as that. Now, he's not giving away the shares, you know. Uh, I'd have to buy them uh, for cash. Uh, yes, dear. Thelma, $3,500 is a lot of money. I know it is, Amos, but it's not doing us any good in the bank. But what about that trip to Mexico? I've been promising you Mexico for five years now. I don't want Mexico, Amos. I want you to have what you deserve. 
No, Thelma, you are completely impossible. You do everything for my good. You never complain. You don't exceed your allowance. You drive the car carefully. You listen to my opinionated opinions. What's the matter with you? I don't know, dear. Do you really want me to be the editor of Historical Horizons? You worked so hard for recognition, Amos. Well, I suppose I have. But after all, $3,500 isn't so much. How much do you think we've got in that savings account? $3,608. The magazine could fail, you know. A lot of them do. Not if you were editor. Thelma, why do you have this fantastic confidence in me? I'm nothing but a bumbler, really, teaching in a small-time school like this. No, Amos. Well, I am. Look at the other men who started with me. Jeffrey Duncan, head of a department at the university. Charlie Sims. Why don't you ask Jeffrey what he thinks, Amos? Uh, Jeffrey? Oh, I couldn't possibly. Uh, besides, Mr. Malsby said that he doesn't want anyone to know. Well, you could just drop into his office someday. Uh, the university, my dear, is exactly 41 miles from here. Well, you know what I mean. Yes, I know, but I'll just have to make up my mind without Jeffrey Duncan. All right, dear. But you know something, Thelma? What, dear? I'd sure like to see the look on Jeffrey's face when he reads my name on the top of that masthead. It would be worth the money just for that. A quick phone check of the campus inn at Halstead, New Hampshire sounded promising So Agent Reynolds and I went up there with Malby's picture When we found we had missed him by only a week Our next move was to interview members of the faculty To see if a swindle was in operation It was, and doing very nicely Well, Amos Boulder, of all people Come in, Amos, come in Well, what are you doing down here at the university? Well, I had some things to look up in your library, Jeffrey, and I thought if you weren't busy... Busy? uh... I have absolutely nothing to do. Just a few hundred papers to correct, a faculty lunch at one, a lecture tonight at the auditorium... Oh, now, if you're busy, I... (laughs) I'm never too busy for you, Amos. Say, how is Thelma? She's fine. We just have to get together for dinner sometime. Grace was saying just the other night, what do Amos and Thelma do with themselves in a small town like Greenwood? (laughs) Well, Amos, I'm glad you dropped in. I uh, want to ask your advice about something. Well, sure, Jeffrey, as a matter of fact, I want to ask your advice on something. Did you ever think of quitting teaching, Amos? Quitting? I never thought I would, but I... I I can count on your discretion, can't I, old man? Of course, Jeffrey, but you're not going to... I don't want this to get around naturally, but I've been offered something really big, Amos. Something I've always wanted, and in my own field, too. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that, Jeffrey, because it just Do you believe in self-investment, Amos? How is that? Well, it's a phrase I coined for my present situation. I'm thinking of investing some money in a, well, a business proposition, which would be under my supervision, but I wouldn't own it directly. You know, it's very strange you should ask me a question like that, Jeffrey, because A man should believe in his own power, shouldn't he? You've certainly never lacked confidence, Jeffrey. Frankly, I don't see how you could fail at anything. (laughs) Neither do I, Amos. And on your advice, I intend to plunge into this venture and see it through to the finish. That's fine, Jeffrey. And of course, you wish me the best of luck. That's all I've ever done, isn't it? You have, Amos. You're a fine friend. Uh Oh, there's my Egyptian culture and Ptolemaic influence. All right, come walk down to the class with me and you can tell me what you wanted advice about. I still have three minutes. What's your trouble, old man? Uh, nothing, Duncan. I... I guess I can work it out my own way. Back to the literary touch in just a moment. Friends, here's a modern, sensible way to satisfy that little hungry feeling you sometimes get between meals. 
especially when you want to go light. Chew a stick of refreshing, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. You see, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum is never rich or filling, yet it does satisfy your taste and give you that little pickup you want. Helps to tide you over until mealtime. It's one reason why Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum is the favorite between meal treat of millions. Always keep a package of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum right with you. And when you get that little hungry feeling but want to go light, chew a stick of this good-tasting gum. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. And now, Act Three of tonight's story, The Literary Touch. of the professors at Halstead, it became obvious that Malsby was making a grand tour of New England colleges setting up his swindle. From a taxi driver, we found that Malsby had gone from Halstead to nearby Glenwood. And in Glenwood, where we talked with faculty families, it was the same story. And so naturally, I encouraged Amos because he's worked so hard and he deserves recognition. How much money did your husband intend to invest, Mrs. Balder? $3,500, I believe. I see. I know it's a lot of money, and I suppose a historical magazine could be a somewhat risky venture. In this case, Mrs. Balder, it's a little more than somewhat. Really? Mrs. Balder, Wallace Malsby is a swindler, wanted in three states for fraud. A what? Swindler. Oh, no. I'm afraid you've made a mistake. Mr. Malsby is a publisher. Mrs. Boulder. Oh, he's president of Malsby Publications. Their office is at 885 West 44th Street in New York. 885 West 44th Street is a parking lot, Mrs. Boulder. But how could it be if that's where Mr. Malsby has his office? Mr. Malsby hasn't got an office, and he's not a publisher. He didn't want your husband as an editor. He wanted $3,500. Oh, but he couldn't. That would be terribly dishonest. Mr. Malsby is a very dishonest man, Mrs. Balder. In fact, he's a crook. You mean all the time he was coming here to dinner? That's right. And I gave him the same sherry I use on alumni night for President Henley. Oh, poor Amos. What, what is he going to say when he finds out he was counting on this so very much? So are several other professors. Oh, Amos will just about die. He, he even put $11 down on a new typewriter. Well, luckily you didn't lose your 3500 Oh, yes. I was going to take it out of the bank today, or maybe it was tomorrow. And, oh, dear, you don't suppose... Oh, excuse me, please. We couldn't have. That would be just too terrible. He just... He did. Did what, Mrs. Boulder? He took the savings bank book. Are you sure? Oh, it's always right here in the pigeonhole. Oh, my, this is really distressing, isn't it? You better get in touch with your husband right away, Mrs. Boulder. Oh, I most certainly will. I'll call his office and see if they know where he is. Poor Amos. He would have made such a fine editor, wouldn't he? And that's why I dropped in, Jeffrey. I wanted you to be the first to know. Well, it must be something pretty important, Amos, if you drove 40 miles just to drop in. <laughs> I guess it is, Jeffrey. Well, let's have it, old man. They've made you head of your department, eh? Congratulations. Uh, no, 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 that, that isn't it. Well, it's got to be, old man. After all, you've been down there at Glenwood for 20 years. It's about time. Jeffrey, that... sometimes your lack of tact is a little more than appalling. I beg your pardon, Amos? After all, 20 years isn't too much to give to a subject if the end is rewarding. Quite true, quite true, and I apologize. 
Well, now, tell me the good news. Uh, well, it's not exactly for publication just yet, Jeffrey. In fact, I haven't even notified the college. Don't tell me you've written another book, Amos. Uh, no, 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 not that, Jeffrey. But just two hours ago, I signed a contract to edit one of the foremost academic publications in America. Did you say edit? That's right. <laughs> well, now, really, Jeffrey, I don't see anything funny in that. No, of course you don't, but but it really is funny, old man. Well, I fail to see it. I am just as capable... Of course you are, of course, old man. But the funny part is that I am now at liberty to accept congratulations on the very same score. I, too, am about to join the editorial fraternity. Really? Yes, I'm expecting the publisher here any moment to sign my contract. Well, what do you know? Congratulations, Jeffrey. Well, thank you. <laughs> so we're both taking the plunge, huh? That's right, old man. <laughs> <laughs> Say, why don't I buy an article from you and you buy one from me? Wonderful, we'll do it. After all, your subject is history. And what more fitting vehicle for your talents than my historical horizons? Uh? Historical horizons, that is the name of my publication. Historical... Horizons. Yes, rather fetching title, isn't it? I helped select it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I... Amos, are you ill? Yes. Oh, what's the matter, old man? Amos, close your mouth, old fellow. You look rather like an idiot. Um, I am. What? I am, and so are you. So am I what? An idiot. Well, now, really, Amos... We both are vain, egotistical, pompous old idiots. I am not old, and furthermore, and I And furthermore, you're not editor of Historical's Horizons either. I... I... I beg your pardon? I said... I know you did, and if I am not, who is? I am. What? I just signed this contract two hours ago. Huh? Now, go ahead. Look at it. Oh. Old man, something is definitely amiss. I know. Uh, old man. Huh? Oh, excuse me. I'm going right ahead. Uh, hello? Oh, yes. Um, it's for you. Thank you. Old man. Don't mention it. Hello? Oh, hello, dear. Yes, I... I just dropped in on Jeffrey to... What? Yes, dear, yes, in a roundabout way, I just found out the same thing. Yes, it is rather distressing, but... Uh... Oh? Oh, they did? Well, that's good. Yes, of course, I'll drive right back. Oh, uh, uh, Thelma... Uh, tell them I'm bringing Professor Duncan with me. Huh? He, uh, he's just as big a fool as I am. Yes, dear. Uh, goodbye. I, I would like an explanation of this whole thing, uh, Amos. So would I, Jeffrey. Two FBI men have just arrested Dr. Malsby, and they're waiting at my house to talk to me, uh, or rather, to us. Oh. Uh, come along, Jeffrey. You know, I think this is going to be a rather painful interview, and uh, <clears throat> we uh, editors must stick together. Faced with four angry professors, a phony contract, and $3,500 stolen an hour before his arrest, Wallace Malsby decided that a plea of guilty was the better part of valor. He received a three-year term in prison where he is currently employed in the library, brushing up, no doubt, for another literary touch. Remember, friends, to help keep your mouth feeling fresh and clean, chew Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. There's lots of lively, refreshing flavor in it. And you can chew a stick just about any time in any place. 
Then, too, while you're sinking your teeth into this good-tasting gum, the natural chewing action is helping to keep your teeth clean and bright. Next time you're at the store, get some packages of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Get plenty for your whole family, because Wrigley's Spearmint Gum is a perfect all-family treat. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Tonight's story, Bill Smith played the part of Amos Boulder, and Walter Grisey was Jeffrey Duncan. This radio dramatization for the FBI in Peace and War was written by Louis Pelletier. These programs are produced and directed by Betty Mandeville. All names and characters used on the program are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This program is based upon Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War. And the broadcast does not imply endorsement, authorization, or approval by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you real chewing enjoyment, invite you to listen to next Wednesday's story, Expert Testimony on the FBI in Peace and War. Same time, same station. This is the CBS Radio Network. That's Case Closed for this week. If you want to find more from Dragnet, the FBI in Peace and War, past episodes of Case Closed, all the other podcasts, thousands of old-time radio episodes to listen to, just visit relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream there with even more old-time radio, lots to listen to, all available for free thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com. Or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it all happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Closed.